Welcome to Health System CIO's podcast interview with Linda Stevenson, CIO at Fisher Titus Health. I'm Kate Gamble, Managing Editor and Director of Social Media. In this segment, Stevenson talked about her team's core objectives in terms of patient engagement and analytics, and the hard work that was put forth to set that foundation, why they've adopted a cybersecurity by committee approach, the unique pressures faced by leaders at rural health organizations, especially when it comes to AI, and how she's leveraging her yoga training to be a better CIO. When I interviewed you last, it was it was 2019, which I feel like that may as well have been the last century. <laughs> like a lifetime ago, right? Oh, yeah. A lot has changed since then, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, so I just wanted to talk about some of the things that your team's working on and then just kind of get into some of your own strategy. So yeah, let's start with a high-level overview of Fisher Titus, you know, what you have in terms of hospitals and some of the other facilities and where you're located, things like that. So uh, Fisher Titus is a rural hospital, a rural healthcare organization that is in Northwest Ohio. We are a hospital, about 100 beds. We have a skilled nursing facility. We have a nursing home. We have our own EMS group as well. And we have many physician, employee physician organizations and providers out in the community. Okay. And I saw something about one of the newer facilities or plans for new facilities, Willard Health. Um, so what's- yeah. We are very excited to be taking a different approach to bringing healthcare to the communities as well. So we currently have a physician office in Willard, very mm-hmm. successful with our providers being there. Our goal is always to bring the healthcare to the communities and to the patients whenever possible. So the aging infrastructure over there said, hey, it's time to look at a new building. But while we're doing that, we're also doing a different approach. And that is more of a health center versus just a physician office. So the new facility will house our physician practice for family practice, but also have rehab services, radiology services, lab services, various things that the physician or the patient might normally come to the hospital for. So they're going to be able to get some of those services right there in the community, which will be great. Okay. That's one of the the ideas behind it is not having to, to go into a hospital for all these things. And do you think that that's something that people need? Yeah, I think it's really important right now for, especially in a rural healthcare community, we end up seeing a lot of patients who are challenged by transportation or money, which might be, hey, affording gas to get in or time. Maybe I don't have sitters for my children. So how do I get to see somebody and take all that time to drive to the hospital? So this really provides services right next to their home. Um, And I hope that it's more likely that they'll seek care, stay on top of their care by having those things close to home. Right, right. So really part of a of a whole organization-wide philosophy of preventative care and doing whatever needs to be done to prevent disease progression and treat things earlier. Yeah, really a lot of focus on on the patient this year Mm -hmm. in our strategic plan, whether that's providing care where needed and when needed. It's also more reaching out as it relates to our social determinants of health and helping those patients find other things that are impacting their care Uh, We're going to be doing a lot of connections through our statewide HIE and statewide integration for social determinants of health here in Ohio. We're going to be doing more work with our care managers, reaching out proactively to patients for services, for remote patient monitoring. So that's all connected with our approach to the patient. 
Okay. And so all of that has to have, there has to be a good infrastructure in place for all of that. So I imagine that that's been a focus probably for, for a little while now. Yeah, we've spent, when I joined here in 2019, we spent a good chunk of the first two to three years on rebuilding our infrastructure from wireless to network closets to our entire phone system. And all of that is really making us um, solid in terms of being able to now build on some of the more advanced technologies. So we're, we're good now. We need to maintain that going forward and layer onto that all of the more progressive things such as AI, remote patient monitoring, like I mentioned, anything that's more telehealth related, but also RPM and doing some automations. Because not only do we have to be focusing on our patient, we have to focus on our people. And it's really not possible for us to do everything we need to do for the patient in, in a proactive way if we're not increasing productivity and helping our people have the right tools to do that. So that's really how our strategy aligns for this and the next couple of years. It's a focus on three things, patients, people, and community, which all you can see how they connect. Yeah. Okay. So then when you arrived, I guess you pretty much had, had your work cut out for you as far as the things that needed to be done, but how did you approach that while also being, you know, a new to the organization? Yeah, I did a lot of analysis, a lot of analysis. I, I went straight for the big rocks, which are what does our infrastructure look like? Where are our big holes? Where are the, where are the pain points? And where's our cybersecurity? So those are the two big first things we spent a lot of time on. We did a, a roadmap of those things over the course of the next five years, which we're kind of wrapping up that five-year plan now. And I know five years sounds like a long time, but if you're not looking that far ahead to plan, it's really hard to know what else you can build on. So yeah. really looking, looking at those two things initially was big. We actually were an organization that was most wired back in, I think it was 2015, 16, 17, quite a while we were most wired, um, the Chime Most Wired program. And we lost that because the maintenance of the infrastructure wasn't, wasn't done. So it was my goal to make sure we get back to that level of integration and advancement. We were excited to be awarded Most Wired again last year in 2022. So it took me a few years, yeah. but we're there. And that really goes to show the work that was done on the infrastructure and, and revisiting everything we already had, but also adding on layers of automation. Yeah. Okay. So that, that's a big thing. That's a big accomplishment. And like you said, really speaks to everything that was done. But was that something that was a motivation? How did you view that as far as like, let's get back to most wired and, and, and beyond that, like, let's get back to all the things that that entails. Yeah, it was a motivation for me. I knew how good this organization could be and I know where they have been. And it made me really sad when I got here to see that it had not been well cared for. And I also had an amazing team. So we actually did um, make some changes to our, our people, our resources within IT, really managed up those that were doing great jobs. We turned over some of the people that really didn't fit with the organization anymore. And I think that lent itself to um, developing a team that was excited to make a difference, right? And I think that's, it doesn't, you don't need a certification or an award to, to show that, but it is really nice to be able to say to your team, here's where you were, here's how far you've come, and you guys did this. So really made it a motivational factor for them and for me. And, and we continue that today. You know, we, we are motivated by 
not only that award, but also by the fact that how can we make people's lives better? Our team is 100% mission driven. I think that's why they work in healthcare, right? Yeah. You can be an IT analyst anywhere, but to be an IT analyst in healthcare really means you make a difference in people's lives. You can help save patients' lives. You can make the difference in a nurse's life. And I think that's part of the motivation as well. Yeah. And do you do things like rounding or how do you kind of help to, to connect them to the mission, which is probably not always easy for IT? Actually, for me, it's very easy. It's, yeah. it's every conversation, every time. So every project starts with the why. Why are we doing this project? And if we're not doing it for really good, solid reasons, I mean, yes, there's the ROI, the financial reasons, but how does this make a difference in our patients or our people? We always start with the why. I developed, not we have an organization mission and vision, but I also developed an IT mission and vision, which was really focused on three things, communication, being proactive, and being innovative. So we go over that at every single team meeting. And then we also talk about, we have an MMA award. So that's your, our monthly mission award, which is highlights our people who are doing great things to achieve that mission. Maybe it's somebody who did amazing communication with a department on a particular item. Maybe it's something who came up with an innovative idea that saves somebody tons of hours. So we do a monthly mission award focused around that. We also do um, some really cool things. One year we did a brainstorming day. We had a whole day where we sat in a room and we kind of just had stickies on the wall and put all the ideas out there. And then over the course of the next year, we went through every single one of those ideas to show them that their ideas matter. Yeah. And they loved that, although not all ideas could be adopted, all ideas were reviewed and discussed so that they understood that, yes, everything I do means something and can be part of that direction. Yeah, I, I love that idea. One of the great things about brainstorming is that it might lead to something else or, you know, it just kind of changes your, your way of thinking or gets you out of a certain <laughs> funk, maybe. Yeah. Absolutely. This year we're doing innovation challenge. So we're having teams compete with innovation ideas. And there were certain categories of innovations that you could compete for. And at the end, it's, it's kind of like um, the final four of basketball. It's the final four of our innovation challenge. They'll be competing and presenting to myself and a couple of the chiefs and say, here's our ideas. And, and there'll be a monetary award at the end of the year for them on who has executed the best idea. Oh, that's great. Yeah, very fun. It's yeah. fun and it's exciting. Yeah. Okay. So um, as far as what you consider to be really core objectives, I know a lot of that is focused on digital transformation and everything related to that, but what do you consider to be really the key initiatives right now? So as I mentioned, our organizational strategy is people, patients, and community. So under, under that umbrella uh, and IT, my IT focus this year is really uh, a couple of things. One is engaging the patient. So everything around engaging the patient, whether that's new digital front door, any, any type of automation and technology that can serve the patient better and help them to take care of themselves better. We are doing patient digital front door. We're doing some patient payment plans, some automation on statements. We're doing bringing everything for the patient into one bundle so they don't have to be confused about where to go to get what. Yeah. The, the other piece of focus is our analytics. So I have a team that's 100% dedicated to building out dashboards 
building out analytics um, monitoring for all of our leaders in the organization because they really need the right data at the right time to make good decisions. That's been difficult when you come from an organization in, in a rural area, you have a lot of people who have worked here forever. And those leaders may or may not be business savvy or data savvy so that analytics program comes with a layer of data literacy education that we're doing as well with our leaders. So that's another big focus for us this year. Okay. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, so we've spoken to a few people about rural health and some of the unique challenges, and that's not something that's necessarily been brought up, but it really makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it's, it's been very difficult. You know, let's face it. If you're a nurse, you went to nursing school and you grew up learning how to take care of patients and then you're a great nurse and now you become a nurse manager or a nurse director or whatever it may be. And no one sits down and teaches you how to look at data. What does data mean? What's an income statement? What's a balance sheet? That's not something they go to school for unless they happen to go on to an MBA later, but oftentimes they get more nursing degrees. So we want to make sure that they're successful and provide them with the education and support that's needed. Yeah. And did you do something similar with the telehealth when that first really started to uh, explode? Yeah, we, you know, we had to do that. We stood up our telehealth in one week and I can't remember last time we talked, it was maybe before that, but when COVID hit, we had to stand up our telehealth because we didn't have it yet. And literally, we kind of jury-rigged a telehealth system in one week here in this organization, which was pretty impressive. I was so proud of my team. We then went back and reintroduced a more appropriate integrated telehealth within our EMR. So that works really well today. But the same education had to happen. How are we doing this? Why are we doing this? Let's help people understand what it's like to be on camera, what it's like to present to yourself, what your background should look like, what your conversations should look like. It was definitely an education effort there as well. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, probably not that different from when a lot of physicians and, and nurses started documenting at the bedside. You know, that's, yeah. that's a whole, whole new thing. That, that's not how they were uh, educated. Well, and it's funny you say that because to this day, we still have to have those conversations. There are some people get into bad habits, whether it be telehealth or bedside documentation, where they're I'm slipping the paper into my pocket and I'm going to do it later. Well, educating them as to the why it's important to continue that and have that information available at the point of care. We still have to have those conversations. Got to keep going back to the basics. Yeah, sure. And um, then another issue that's uh, top of mind for everyone is cyber and being rural. I imagine you don't have a dedicated CISO. So no, that's me. Yep. Right, right. So how are, are you able to, to manage that? Just because obviously there's so much that comes with the data security piece. Yeah, I'm, I'm blessed in that I engage. I do have an outside group that I contract with to help me for those things that maybe we're not specialists in, right? So if something arises that we're not sure about and want clarification about, we'll reach out and pay for some hours with that outside team. For the most part, our program is managed by a committee. So we have a committee, uh, we call it our cybersecurity committee. It, it obviously includes key IT leaders, network team members. It includes our compliance leader. It includes our legal chief legal counsel. Um, so we meet on a weekly basis to review outstanding risks, to review any assessments that are done, to talk about penetration tests, to plan for tabletop drills. That group does things. And so everybody has a little piece of the pie 
And uh, it's worked really well for us though. I think the good thing is it's everybody's learning. So security is everybody's job and it's looked at more that way than it is. It's just the CISO's job or a security analyst job. So I feel there's a real benefit in that management by committee. Yeah, yeah, the shared responsibility. That Yeah. And, and of course, what makes it so difficult is that everything changes so fast. So everyone really has to do their part to make sure that you're on top of the latest threats and educating users, which I know is probably a big piece of it. It is. It is. Obviously, we do the annual required education as everybody is in healthcare. We do a monthly or more phishing attempts. We do meetings with our board of governors. Uh, we do we do a lot of education. We just most recently, we brought an outside resource in who did a two-hour education with all of our leadership. And while it sounds like a huge investment, getting all of leadership from directors up into the room for this education, I can't tell you how many people said, oh my God, that was amazing because they, the education was put in a way that, yes, this is an organizational challenge. You all have to be part of it, but also, hey, guess what? This applies in your everyday life. Right. So it really hit home because what happens to your bank account and the things you need to consider there are the same things you need to consider here. And I thought it was a really, really good decision that we put all the leaders in that room. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, like you said, I'm, I'm sure it was, it required some resources, but to be able to, to get that much out of it is important. Yeah. I think when you're in security, there's so much technology and so much detail that goes into everything we need to understand for cybersecurity. Yeah. It's really hard to bring it down to the level that people understand it. So I think those moments are really important organization-wide, leadership-wide, and even within the IT team, because the networking person might understand in terms of his needs for cybersecurity is not the same thing that our trainers or our clinical analysts need to know. So they all have a piece and need to have, be able to tell each other and talk about those things. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. I, I would imagine that, you know, being a rural health organization, it really has to be part of the fabric to be really deliberate about decisions and, you know, have, try to do more with less, like people say, but I imagine that that just has to be at the forefront of every decision that's made. Yeah, it's specifically challenging right now, um, as we all know, post-COVID costs for everything went up, reimbursement has not changed. My leader, my CEO, and several other leaders in the organization are doing a lot with advocacy, like through AHA and other state organizations to say, hey, guys, we, we, something has to change because we all as rural healthcare organizations will not survive. But to that end, each leader, me, the CFO, the CNO, everybody has to really look at what's the bottom line? What does our budget look like? Where does the money need to be spent? And where can we cut back um, in order to survive the shifts in our economy we're living with right now? So I think particular pressure is put on the CIOs to say, what tools can you find us to automate, to take out some of the manual labor, to save time and savings, and hopefully, eventually, maybe even FTEs. Now, not that we ever want to remove people from the picture, but as attrition happens and people leave, Let's see if we can do, like you said, more with less through some of the tools. Yeah. And so that I imagine that part of your, a big part of the strategy going forward, like automation, just using different types of tools that can handle some of the tasks that aren't the top of license tasks. 
Correct. Yeah, that's why we're looking at some of the uh, remote process automation from the rev cycle side, looking at some of those tools right now, obviously keeping an eye on some of the AI, the chat GPT stuff in terms of how we can help people do things quicker with less time. A little slow to go down the AI path right now. I mean, we've got little pieces of it, but just being cautious of the release of some of these things for cybersecurity reasons, for confidentiality reasons, trying to get policies in place, trying to get practices in place so that we have a little bit of control over that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it makes sense also to to really wait out and see what, what the use cases are. And there's so much excitement around it, which, and it is, it is an exciting concept, but a lot needs to be figured out first. Yeah. And I, that excitement is really fun to hear by the same token. It's also causing, uh, and I'm sure all of my CIOs out in the world can relate to this, vendors go to any one of the leaders in the organization and say they've got, you know, they can solve all of your problems with this automated thing, whatever this thing Mm -hmm. is. And um, it's our job to then give a sense of reality to all those conversations and a prioritization. I can tell you that, you know, at least five or six different leaders have come to me say, I want to buy this AI tool, this AI tool, that AI. Okay, well, let's really talk about what the why is. And where are we going to invest our money? Because you might all have good ideas, but some of those are going to have more of an ROI than others. So we have to look at that. And I bring those back to the chiefs and and we we sit down together and say, hey, what's our priority? Yeah, comes back again to the why. Yep, exactly. Yeah. So I also really wanted to to talk about some of your your own leadership philosophy, but um, your experience as a yoga teacher, wellness coach, it's really interesting to me. I'm a big fan of, of yoga and it's it's had such an impact on my life. But yeah, just kind of wanted to talk about how that's incorporated into your strategy. Absolutely. I think being a yoga teacher has made me really, uh, I do a better job at my day job. So I am a better CIO because I'm a yoga teacher. It allows me to be more purposeful, more thoughtful about how I treat my team, how I work with my team, I actually bring some of those skills to my team. So I offer a yoga session just free once a month for the organization that anybody can come. It's That's just like make it available. I wish I could do it more often, but time is tough. I also do well-being Wednesdays once a month with my team. So we develop, I develop content once a month to present to my staff topics on better sleep or meditation or breath work or in the benefits of all those things so that they have tools to help them through this work-life balance challenge that everybody's experiencing. I think it's also important to provide those tools to help people get over some of this, um, I want to call it loneliness or isolatedness that's experienced with some of the remote work. So really trying to engage them, be on camera. So those things are very top of mind because of my background in in health and wellness and yoga. And I, I hope I bring a really good energy to my leadership because of it. Yeah. I really liked what you said about how that makes you better at your day job because I found yeah. that and for me parenting has became really different when I finally started taking some time to do that but I love to see so much emphasis like at Vive and Chime people are talking about the well-being of their team and, and really focusing on it and just makes a tremendous difference and lets people know that they can come to you and you know and that that you are looking out for them yeah I hope that they feel I care because mm-hmm. I really do I mean 
the success of my team is everything. Their success is my success. So I'm just the coordinator and the prioritizer. And I've had this conversation with my team. If, if you're not enjoying your job, if you're not getting up in the morning and saying, I'm excited to go to work and do my job, then you're in the wrong job. And I do feel that every, I drive an hour to work every day. That's a one way and an hour back because I do not live near work. But I do it because I get up every morning and go, hey, I can make a difference in these people's lives, my employees, the organization, and patients. And I think that's a, that's a mindset and a motivation and a moment of gratitude you take every day. We should all have that going into work. Uh, otherwise, we, need to, we should be doing something else. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. To me, if discussions are going on about well-being, and it's part of, of the culture there, it's just going to have better results. It's, people are going to be, they're going to be more open about themselves and probably more apt to look out for each other too. So that's really important. Yeah. And hopefully also stay with the organization longer because they're treated well, they're cared for and, you know, reducing turnover and keeping people happy here is one of the most important things. Thank you for listening to this podcast from healthsystemcio.com. To hear other podcasts, visit our website or subscribe to our account in iTunes at healthsystemcio.com backslash podcast.